Our scripture this morning is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. Live a productive life. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. We're looking at verses 1 through 17. You will certainly want to follow along. It will mean much more to you. Also grab those sermon notes out, and we'll work through that. Take a look at the intro for the sermon notes. How many have ever heard this uh, statement before? Time heals all wounds. Have you ever heard that before? Show of hands. How many believe that? It's wrong. It's wrong. It's a, it's a bad statement. In fact, time plus grace plus truth heals all wrongs. I mean, if you do nothing with the hits you've taken in this life, chances are pretty good it's going to get worse. In fact, we live in a broken world filled with sin and suffering, and if you aren't applying God's grace and truth over time to life's wounds, we talked about that in Matthew 6, 12, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. You've got to be doing that regularly. Otherwise, it'll take you out. And if you don't do that regularly, you are accumulating a lot of baggage. We talked about that. That will lead you to bitterness and burnout. Remember Hebrews 12, 15. Spent a lot of time on that one last weekend. He says, man, don't miss out on the grace of God and let a bitter root grow up. Start small. Someone hurts you. You begin to have this grudge this bitterness toward them, and it says, don't miss the grace of God and let a bitter root grow up and cause trouble and defile many. It will not only cause trouble for you, but you're going to defile everybody around you. Well, we talked about that last week. Have you ever been around a person that over time, they didn't deal with their junk, and now their junk is dealing with them, and they're becoming very toxic and hateful and angry? about anything and everything. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be like that. That's what this whole series is about. 
And that's just proof that you have missed the grace of God. So what we're talking about here tonight, this is about growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here's what I've learned through the years. I've been doing this a long time. Some of you have been doing this a long time too. Guess what? If you're not growing, you're regressing. If you're not growing in your relationship with Christ, that's what this is all about. If you're not progressing in your relationship with God, you're regressing. That's a fact. That's why it's really critical to deal with the stuff in your life. And so, as I've got here, this is about growing in in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and keeping you from facing the horrible tragedy of living an unproductive, unfruitful, unsuccessful life. It's very clear in verses two and six. By the way, I, I want to throw this in there. You'll see this on the notes. The end time apostasy is the greatest tragedy in history. Did you know that as we head towards the end time, we're in the end times, but as, as things begin to uh, wind up or wind down, however you want to say it, that there's going to be an end time apostasy through the difficulties of life, the sin and suffering. The harder life gets, it says, and actually I put that on your notes, I believe. You can write it down if I didn't. Matthew 24, 12 through 13. Because of the difficulties of life, because of the harshness of life, because of the sin and suffering in life, the love of many will wax cold, will grow cold, but those who endure to the end will be saved. And you're not going to be able to endure to the end if you let your heart grow cold for Jesus. Man, I want tonight, and I want every weekend to light your heart up with a fire for our Savior Jesus. That's normal, healthy Christianity. That'll help you to be productive, successful. And so we're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like here, here tonight. And we're going to look at, and I think this text answers three questions. What is a productive life? What does a successful life look like? It's not what you might think. We're, we're kind of skewed by our culture in a lot of ways. So what is, what is a productive life? How to live a productive life? How, uh, why live a productive life? It's all right here in this text. Before we do that, would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. I pray tonight, Father, that you would comfort the disturbed, disturb the comfortable, liberate our lives, satisfy our souls, fortify our faith as we learn what it means to live a productive, fruitful, successful life. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. So what is a productive life? You'll see, if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see that in verses 2, 4, and 16, four times in those three verses it says bear fruit. So that's what he's talking about. How can we bear fruit? How can we live successful lives, if you prefer to use that word, or fruitful lives? In verses 5 and 8, two times, he says bear much fruit. So how to live a successful, fruitful, productive life. By the way, you need to know this, living a successful life is within the reach of every person on this planet. And this is the kind of life that God esteems and would consider great. He would say, this is a great person, this is a great life, according to Matthew 5, 17 through 20. In fact, this is the well done and good and faithful servant kind of life we all should want to live. 
Because one of these days, you will stand before Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ, and you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So how do I know that I'm going to hear that when I take my last breath on earth, first breath in heaven? Right here, I'm going to tell you. I think it's right here in this text. So that how we can live that kind of a life. And, and before we give you that first fill in the blank, I want to read to you a, a passage of Scripture that's been always troubling for me, and I think it should be troubling for you too. Misery loves company, so welcome to the party. And I'm going to help you to feel a little bit uncomfortable here, but it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's where Jesus is, uh, He says these, and, and maybe you're familiar with this. The very end of the Sermon on the Mount, not the last part, the last part where He talks about build your house on the rock, but it's a section where it says, I never knew you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How many are familiar with this text? You guys know what I'm talking about here? Kind of a frightening text. Yeah, I would say the least. Because then he goes on, and on that day, many will say to me, so you're standing before God, and he's saying, there will be those that will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And when you look at the, their credentials, it's almost like they're presenting their credentials to Christ. And you look at their credentials, almost like, you can profess Christ, you can have good, healthy doctrine, you can even have a passion, you can even be influential in bringing life change to people and not be a Christian. And in fact, what's fascinating about this is that anytime you glory in your commitment to Christ more than in Christ, you are showing signs of being a Pharisee. You are not serving Christ, you're serving yourself. Christ is not the end, but the means to the end. When you stand before God, the only thing I'm claiming is, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you took my record on the cross, and I received your record by your grace. Uh, I don't think any resumes will hold up in front of him. And, I, and, and so that's, that's, that's a fascinating text. Let me add to that because it'll help us with the, with the fill in the blank here. Let me add to that, uh, maybe you're familiar with the love chapter. Where's the love chapter found, anybody? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to the first three verses of the love chapter. Kind of goes along with this. It's almost like the apostle Paul is kind of making the same point here. And he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a, no, a, a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let me give you your first fill in the blank on your notes. So what is a productive life? Spiritual giftedness, this is what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through three. Spiritual giftedness, doctrinal skill, bold faith, and radical sacrifice do not equal the most important thing that actually matters to God, love for him. Here's what God says through the prophet Hosea. 
He says, I want your love. I want you to know me intimately, not your empty sacrifices and burnt offerings. It's a pretty, pretty powerful statement. Our, our tendency is that we tend to confuse charisma with character. You guys know the difference between charisma and character? Charisma is about giftings. And we tend to flock around people that are really gifted, people that have great credentials, spiritual giftedness, doctrinal skill, bold faith, radical sacrifice, woo! The only problem is they might be lacking one thing. It's called character. We tend to be attracted to that in our culture. That's, and, and I find that really, really fascinating. Don't be confused. Don't confuse charisma, gifts with character, fruit. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. The most important thing in life is not what you do, but who you become. Your first calling is to have an intimate relationship with Christ, and out of that, for your life to be conformed more and more into his image. It's who you become that matters most. That's character. That's your character. I have seen, and you have seen too, if you've been a Christian for as long as I have or close to as long as I have, I've seen very popular Christian leaders, celebrity pastors crash and burn because their charisma took them to a higher level than their character could travel. And everybody was disillusioned. Oh, but he was so gifted. Yeah, but I think maybe he might have lacked one thing that was most important, character. That's what matters more than anything. And the people following them chose loyalty over truthfulness. We've got to keep this thing going. Or fame over virtue. And that's the dysfunction in, in the Christian community that I've seen through the years. When we stand before God, it's our character that matters most. That's what matters most. I like what C.S. Lewis says, God doesn't want something from us, he simply wants us. D does he have you? Have you given your heart to him? That's the essence of the Christian life. Let me give you the next fill in the blank. The goal of the gospel is to produce a type of people consumed with passion for God and love for others. Remember what Jesus was asked by the lawyer trying to test him? What's the greatest commandment? Anybody remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Character. That's what character is. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you love God and love others, all the rest of the Christian life falls into place. In fact, next, next week we'll talk about do what matters most. We're going to look at our 5G process of full devotion to Christ. What does that look like? But you've got to get this, and you're not going to get that because the... the the 5G process, an overflow of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, this might sound a little harsh. Bear with me, but listen to this. A church that doesn't have as its primary focus the deepening of passions for God is not a healthy church no matter how zealously it seeks conversions or how forcefully it advocates righteous behavior. Passion for God, number one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
You see, becoming a follower of Christ isn't just about following some rules, but it's about so adoring Christ that we would give up everything we have to follow him. We have this love for him that's overwhelming because of his love for us. Here's your next fill in the blank. So our love for God and others grows in proportion to our experience of his love for us. I can always tell when people are walking in vital union and communion with, with Christ. They're experiencing his love because they have this, this uh, crazy capacity to love God and love other people. You can't help but do that when you're experiencing his love, when you know his love. Verse 16 of our text, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Basically, he's saying what it tells us in 1 John four nineteen: we love him because of his preemptive love. He came after us with his love and captured our hearts and we're never the same after that. Now, let me, let me explain this. I'll give you a story here. Let's just say uh, my wife and I, our anniversary this year, we have one every year and uh, try not to forget it. She did forget our anniversary one time and I'll never let her live that down. Um, she forgot the date. It crushed me. No, it didn't bother me. I was just really happy that she did it because then I got, got something on her. Uh, <laughs> I want to use this for all it's worth, baby. <laughs> so let's just say this year, um, I show up and I bought her, this year will be 45, so 45 roses. And then I take her to one of her favorite restaurants, the Henry. And uh, as I show up, she gets some nice clothes on. We're getting in the car. As we're heading down the car, she says, Oh, Ray, those roses are absolutely beautiful. Why did you go to such expense? Let's just say that I respond by saying, Well, it's my duty. What do you, you think that's a good response? No? I mean, I read it. I read about it. I've, I've been getting, going to Men's 33 where they teach you, and so this is my duty. This is my responsibility. So I did, I did, I did my duty. That's not a good response, is it? Would you guys not think that's a very good response? Would she, would she feel cherished when I, if I said something like that? No, not at all. Instead, let's rewind, and she says to me, why would you go to such expense? And instead of me saying, it's my duty, how about if I said, it's my delight? Because, Nancy, it makes me really, really happy to give to you and to spend time with you. How would that make her feel? Do you think that she would respond by saying, all you ever think about is your happiness? <laughs> no, she wouldn't say that. No, because she's honored she feels honored when I find happiness in her. Does that make sense? She feels really, really honored. Like, man, I, it makes me so happy to be able to give to you, and I love spending time with you. And she would be honored when I say, she is most honored when I am most happy in her. So, so let's... Let's take this to our relationship with Christ. When you come to church, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you give of your time and your talents and your finances, and people ask you, why would you do that? Don't say, it's your duty. 
Don't say, well, this is what Christians do. It's my duty. No, this is what you want to say. I find so much delight in doing all of that. I don't ever feel like I do enough. And in fact, nothing makes me happier than to know him, to experience him, to love him, to meet with him, to enjoy him, to give to him. If that's your heart, nothing will move the heart of God like that. That's what he wants. I think when we stand before him, he wants to see that we have a heart for him, that we love him. I mean, we're going to ride a roller coaster of, you know, accomplishments and achievements and all that, and, and that's, that comes as a result of that. And, and those are all important, and they're good, but not as important as your affection, your deep affection for Christ. So how do you know, how do you know that you are growing in your love for God? Because that's what we're talking about here, productivity, fruitfulness. In fact, your fruitfulness will come out of your your experience of his love for you and then your love for him. How do you know that you're growing in your love for God? You love giving to him and spending time with him. Man, you just love it. It's a delight. <laughs> See, that's, that's healthy Christianity. I mean, we, and if you hang out here at Desert Bridge, you're gonna see a lot of people that feel that way. That's what I love about our church. Just a lot of people that just love Jesus. Their hearts are smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Christ is and what he's done for them. And so they do what they do. They work hard. They give faithfully, consistently, because they, they have fallen in love with him. And so let me ask you this. Do you enjoy that now more than ever, giving to him and spending time with him? And if you do, that's, you're telling me that you're connected. There's a connection to the, to the vine. You're the branch. He's the vine. There's a connection there. There's something happening deep in your heart. Oh, my goodness, you're experiencing his love. And there's going to be fruitfulness that's going to come out of that. So how do you know you're growing in your love? Your love for God, you love giving to Him and spending time with Him. But also, you find it easier and easier to praise Him for who He is and what He's done for you and is doing in your life. So your interaction with Him is, a, is praise and adoration and worship. I mean, you reflect and rejoice in His indescribable greatness and unimaginable goodness. And what happens over time as you're connecting with Him at this deep level is that, that it begins to change you. This is what transforms your heart, making you into a more satisfied person, a more calm person, a more courageous person in the face of, of anything. It's just, man, you're just enjoying, enjoying his presence. That's the essence of the Christian life. Now, I, excuse this illustration. I've got a few illustrations like this, but it's like a delicious dessert that... Um, my wife uh, brought home a half pint of white turtle from Brewster's. Anybody here ever been to Brewster's? Okay. And this half pint cost as much as those roses cost. <laughs> Probably $150. It's expensive ice cream, but it's super good. White turtles, vanilla. It's homemade vanilla, caramel, pecans. It's super good. I didn't dare touch it that night because I've had desserts before where I'd, I'd look at it and go, oh my goodness, that looks good. I'm just going to take a bite. I'm just going to take a bite. 
And how many have ever done this? You take a bite and it, and it leads to another bite and then another bite and then another bite. Before long, you just ate the whole thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yep, 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 yep. Before you realize you've eaten the whole thing, the love of God is that addicting. You can't get enough of it. You don't ever want to lose it. And you'll do anything to nurture it and to experience it. There's nothing better. So how, how do you live a productive life? So let's, let's take it to the next. So how do you nurture that? How do you nurture this, uh, this fruitful life? He uses the word abide 11 times. It's the Greek word. The Greek word is meno, M-E-N-O. And in some translations, if you have a different translation, it says remain, dwell, live. So 11 times. So this, this is pretty important. So it's out of this learning how to abide then we have this fruitful life, this productive life, this successful life. And, and this is, I've done a lot of research on this, looked at it and thought about this for many years. And so I think it means to make your home, and there's four things in this text that you want to make your home in. But, but I also put down just, I want to make this practical so you understand. So what does that mean to abide or dwell or to live or to make your home in Christ? The Christian life is an ongoing dialogue with a person. It's a relationship. It is a practicing of God's presence through a continuing conversation with Him. It is a, a relating to Him, rejoicing in Him, relying on Him. So how do you keep growing in your relationship with Him? Now, I found this interesting. Look at verse 2 if you've got your Bibles open. Verse 2, it talks about every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. That sounds pretty frightening. In fact, a little bit later on, I think it's verse 6, it talks about putting them in a big pile and burning them. That's those that are unfruitful. And, and to me, that's the, that's the mechanical, formal, ritual kind of a Christian, just kind of going through the motions. And then it says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So in verse 2, Jesus is making a difference between a branch in him that doesn't bear fruit and a branch in him that does bear fruit. And I think the difference is between a mechanical, moral, religious person versus a vital, organically growing person. So you're growing in your, in your love for God, in, in your experience of His love for you, and then your love for Him and love for others. And so to make your home in, here's your next fill in the blank, in His, I'm going to start here, it's kind of harsh, but in His pruning. Now, this pruning is not punitive, it's purifying. You guys know what I mean by that? In other words, it's not, he's, not, he's not having you to pay for your sins. That was already paid for in full on the cross. So this isn't some form of condemnation. So it's not punitive. Oh, you sinned, you have to pay for that. No, Jesus already paid for all that. But this is purifying for the believer. He's wanting to purify our lives. This, this pruning. So we have to learn to make our home in his pruning. And in, the, or, and in this pruning, there is purifying. In fact, pruning brings greater productivity. The word prune literally means to cleanse. And so as God is cleansing us, 
there's bring, he's bringing purifying to us. He's contending for our greatness. Now, if you would go to a vineyard right after the pruning with an ignorant eye, you would be absolutely shocked. Anybody ever see a vineyard after they've pruned a vineyard? It's shocking. Because you would see all over the ground lots of beautiful bright green leaves and even growing clusters of grapes on the ground that were starting to come in and now have been ripped out just before they could actually mature. And you're going, whoa, they cut a lot of, look at all the stuff they cut out of there. Have you ever felt that way, you know, the pruning process taking place in your life? And you just go, why would God remove that from my life? What, what, is going, what, what are you doing, God? We've got to learn how to abide in his pruning. Because that's what it says, because he wants us to bear more fruit. Here's what I know about pruning. Every loss in your life is used by God to bring about exceeding gain that will far outweigh the loss. That's the idea behind pruning that brings purifying so that you will be more productive. All the suffering and difficulties and pain in life can either make you bitter or can make you better, stronger, wiser, deeper, more intimate and mature in your relationship with Christ. It really comes down to how you choose to respond. Are you going to abide in his pruning We have a, a peach tree, we have a lemon tree, we have a number of trees, but we have this peach tree that we've had for years. It's getting kind of old, kind of rugged, but my, my wife was telling me that it was a number of years ago when she did some pruning, she pulled off over a thousand peaches and really clipped it quite a bit. A thousand small little peaches on that. You think, oh my goodness, we're not gonna have any peaches this year. And that particular year, because she did such a good job pruning, we had a bumper crop of baseball-sized peaches, which produced a feast of peach jam, peach pie, peach cobbler, and peach bread. (laughs) Praise God. But it was preceded by pretty drastic pruning. Here's what I'm saying. After pruning, the gain far exceeds the loss. If you're going through a pruning, I'm telling you, God is contending for your greatness. I know it's hard. I know it's painful. I know it seems devastating. But you have a God in heaven who loves you. And he's going to work in your life in such a way that your life down the road is going to be even more productive. And you'll look back on that pruning and go, man, I'm thankful for that. Thank you, God, for doing that. Although very painful while I went through it, but God, I can't believe what I have now in you and how I'm able to impact other people's lives. So you've got to abide in his pruning. How do you abide in his, his pruning? You've got to also abide, make your home in his word. That's the next one. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. If you abide in me, this is verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
So, so it's got to be more than what we just do here on weekend services. Okay, if you take a few notes and you, and you throw it in your car or in your Bible and you forget about it. No, you've got, his word has to abide, dwell, make, make our home in his word, his word in us. That's what he's talking about here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, so it's also talking about his word, you will abide in my love. Why is that? Because his commandments, and when he says commandments, he's actually talking about, even as the psalmist, David says in Psalm 1, uh, that we delight in the law of the Lord. He's using the word law, not just as the rules, but as the whole of the Bible. So when he says commandments, he's talking about all of the scriptures. If you keep all of my scriptures, why would we do that? Because it comes to us out of his perfect love and infinite wisdom. He knows exactly how he wants us to live our lives so that we can be productive. And, and this is the kind of character he's developing us into. And so that's, he's just saying, man, you abide in my love when you do that. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So it's one thing to read the Bible for information or inspiration, but it's altogether another thing, listen to me, to read it for intimacy with God. So how do you do that? This is what I would suggest. Turn your Bible reading into a conversation with a person. So I've been meditating on a verse this last week, Psalm 34.8. One of my favorite verses, some of you probably know this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So how would you turn that in conversation? You just don't read it and go, oh, that's a great verse. No, you turn it in conversation with him. Lord, I see that there's a, the writer here has given a sensory language that I, I, I don't want to just know that you are good. I want to experience that goodness. I want a taste of your goodness, please, Lord. Let me taste of that goodness. May your goodness overwhelm me. Oh, taste. That's what the writer's saying. Oh, taste and see. Oh, my goodness. If you, if you just get a taste of him and you begin to know him and experience him, he is good. Nothing better. So I turn that into a prayer. And I would say something like this. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed means total fulfillment, complete well-being. Right now, I'm not feeling very complete and well, Lord. I need your help. I need that total fulfillment, complete well-being. I'm running to you. You're my refuge. Lord, help me. Help me to work through this. Turn my despair. I'm feeling a lot of despair. Please turn it into joy as I run to you. My heart is feeling hard. Lord, soften my heart. I'm feeling bitter. Lord, give me forgiveness. Lord, I'm, I'm filled with anxiety. Lord, give me your peace. Turn it into conversation with him. Oh, my goodness. Interact with him. He's speaking to your heart. Overwhelming negative thoughts and feelings are revealing distinct parts of your soul that need care and lies that you are believing about God, yourself, and others that need to be confronted. You got to get good at this, but if his word's not abiding in you, you can't confront those negative thoughts and ideas that are, that are overtaking you with a lot of negative emotions. The best defense against the lies in your head 
in, and in this world is the rehearsal of God's word deep in your heart. I mean, do you, you guys know how to do that? That when you're overwhelmed with negative emotions, are you able to confront those negative emotions with, hey, 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 wait a minute. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. By the way, that's Psalm 42. You're confronting those lies with the word of God. That's how we abide in his word. So we're abiding in his pruning, but also in his word. How do you handle rejection and criticism and hurtful and hateful words spoken to you from family or friends? You confront those negative thoughts and feelings with the truth that the only riches that count, the only love that lasts, the only family and friends that matter, I've already got in Christ Jesus. That's how you push back those lies. Psalm 119.11, I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promises your promise gives me life. You can hear this. The psalmist here is just confronting those things that are going on in his heart. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, I'm struggling right now. I don't know. I'm disoriented. Lord, I need you. I need you to guide me through this. You turn it into a prayer as he guides you. So, how to live a productive life, make your home in his pruning, in his word, and then in his love. Okay, I mean, it almost seems like it even gets better as we work through this text. This is this is exceptional here. I mean, if you could get this, what I'm about to say, this next verse, this is a profound, very significant verse. Listen to what he says in verse 9. If you have your Bibles here, this would be one of those that you'd underline and memorize because this is Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to us. As the Father has loved me, so I, have I loved you. Abide in my love. How much does the Father love the Son? How much does the Father adore the Son? How much does the Father delight in the Son? That's how much Jesus is saying He loves and adores and delights in us. Don't let that bounce off of you like a bullet on a rock. Come on, that's important stuff. Man, no one loves you like Jesus. That's amazing. And then Jesus later on in John 17, 23, he takes it a little bit further. I don't think, I don't know how you could take it any further than that, but Jesus says, you love them. He's talking to the Father. You love them even as you love me. So not only does Jesus love us with a lot of love, but the Father loves us with that same kind of love. God's love for you is infinite and eternal. God didn't create us to, to get love and joy from us, but to give love and joy to us. They, the triune God is just a mind-blowing idea that from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been experiencing love and joy. So they created us to bring us into that love and joy, for us to experience that. They, there was no deficit in the Trinity, believe me. They had everything they needed. They're drawing us into this relationship with him. It's absolutely breathtaking. And so his love for you knows no increases or decreases. On a bad day, he doesn't love you less, and on a good day, he doesn't love you more. He loves you infinitely and eternally. God's love for you doesn't grow, but your awareness and experience of his love does. 
And that's where we kind of fall short. See, the more you experience his love, the more you will grow. You, you know, have you ever had an issue that you're trying to work through, maybe a hurt habit or hang up? And, and, and by the way, you're not going to get through that by trying harder or gritting your teeth or pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. No, it's actually an experience of his love for you. That's what will get you through. That's what will transform your heart. And that's why he's talking about this idea of abiding, abiding in his, in his pruning, his word, his love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Most of our problems are a failure to live out of that love. You hear me? <laughs> Most of our problems are a failure to live out of that love. Anxiety, jealousy, self-pity, bitterness, despair, loneliness, list goes on, is a failure to see that the only person whose love really counts, I've got, you've got it too through Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.18 says this, His perfect love drives away the fears in our life. So let me ask you this. Are you becoming less anxious, less jealous, less bitter, less lonely? You should if you're growing in your relationship with Him. And then He takes it a few, few steps higher. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Am I the only one excited here? Okay. I'm going to light you guys up. Look what he says in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's our Savior, Jesus. He did that for us. And then he goes on, you are my friends. What? Talk about having friends in high places, huh? Right there. I, I can be a friend of God? Yeah. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Friends are about trust. They're about secrets. You share secrets. You know things about your friends that other people don't know. There's a level of intimacy he's inviting us to. The essence of the Christian life is not duty, but delight. It's not service, it's friendship is what he's saying here. Jesus has the audacity to tell us that we can enjoy him like a best friend. Now here's what you can learn from this. Simple way to remember what friends do. I learned this a number of years ago, it was really helpful. Friends will always let you in and never let you down. Look at, they'll always let you in. Candor and truth. Look at verse 15. For all that I have heard, so I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Candor and truth. They will always let you in and never let you down. Constancy and love. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. They will always, always let you in and never let you down. Candor and constancy, truth and love. If Christ isn't your best friend, you'll forever be hurt, frustrated, and bitter in your human friendships. That's a fact. You'll be a poor friend, humanly speaking, unless you connect with his friendship for you. Now think about this. Let me kind of unpack this so that we can understand this. So to be loved but not known, comforting but superficial. Does that make sense? Somebody says they love you, they don't know me. If they really knew me, they probably wouldn't love me. I mean, that's what goes through our heads sometimes. So to be loved but not known is superficial. To be known but not loved, 
is our greatest fear. That's why we play a lot of games, have a lot of pretense, wear a lot of masks. We're really fearful. Man, if you really knew me, you probably wouldn't love me. But to be fully known and fully loved is heaven on earth. Jesus will always let you in and never let you down. This will free you from pride and pretense and fortify you to face anything. He's our friend. I mean, think about that. Meditate on that. Let that get a hold of your heart. That's a part of abiding in his love. And then, and then we ab- abide or make your home in his goodness. Look at what he says here. It almost sounds like a blank check here, but it's not, obviously. He's not ever going to give us anything that's going to harm us or hurt us. Look at verse 7. He says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Look at verse 16. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now listen to me. You have an adversary, and if he can't get you to doubt God's existence, he will work overtime to get you to doubt his goodness. He's holding out on me. He doesn't really care about me. This is the two reasons people defect from the faith, because they are deceived by the pleasures of life. Somehow they think they're going to be happier. There's greater goodness out there than there is in Christ. They're deceived. He's got you duped. Or we become disillusioned by the pain and difficulties of life. He's holding out on me. He doesn't care for me. It goes all the way back to the garden. Did God really say that? He doesn't know. He's holding out on you. You can't trust him. Listen to me. He always has your best interest at heart. He guaranteed that on the cross. If he didn't spare his own son, he's not going to spare anything else in taking care of us. Romans 8, 31 and 32. That's called gospel logic, by the way. And the more fully devoted you are to him, the more you'll experience the fullness of life that can be found in him. Make your home in in his pruning, in his word, in his love, in his goodness. Now, why live a productive life? We'll knock this out quick. Look at verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There's two, and then here's the third one. And he says... um, These things, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's why we want to live a productive life. It glorifies God. That's your first fill in the blank under that question. It glorifies God. So the word glory means weight, significance, important. People look at your life and and God looks big. He looks like he should look in our lives. Glorious, beautiful, attractive. It gives me fullness of joy. So it glorifies God, gives me fullness of joy, and then here's the third one, it proves that I am a Christian. It gives evidence that I'm a Christian. Here's your last statement. God is most glorified in us when we're most full of joy or satisfied in Him, proving and producing spiritual growth and vitality in us. Next weekend... Sundays on Saturday. (laughs) Invite your family and friends. We're going to talk about do what matters most. So out of this love, we have a 5G process that I teach in our DB Life class. If you've never taken the DB Life class, sign up for it. We'll be kicking it off here in a couple weeks. Encourage you to go through it. It's a great class that will help you to walk through uh, the 5G process of full devotion to Christ. 
And if you're new here tonight, I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any other elders or leaders. We'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Also, we'll have the Craig family up here in the front. It'd be great to get to know them and uh, love on them. They do a fantastic work. We're so thankful to be partnering with them, and we love them a lot. So they'll be up here too. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, we do that now. We carry all of our cares, our difficulties, our anxieties, our problems to you. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us so that we can have a friendship relationship with you. Nothing is more fulfilling. Nothing will produce more fruitfulness in our lives like making our home in your pruning, your word, your love, and your goodness. Help us to do that more and more each day, we pray in your beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.